Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The Parkins and Spiegel Show. If y'all ready, give me a hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Cubs have a new reliever. Richard Lovelady is here to get some work in the bullpen. The new left-hander, Richard Lovelady. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, right? I mean, because, like, a lot of people love ladies, you know? I mean, uh, sure. people of all sorts of, of stripes love ladies. <laughs> when you're a quarterback at Alabama, you see that lovely lady there. Whoa. And But it implies that he himself is a love, a love lady, although I guess he is a love lady. Now it's good to have fun with names. Have you ever known a love lady in your life? This was new to me I've known today. the love of two ladies. Um, I'm proud of it. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. At the same time? Yeah, well, no, oh. I tried. Damn straight. I always wanted to do that, man. I think if I were a millionaire, I could hook that up, too, because chicks dig dudes with money. There is a love lady, Texas. There is? Love lady, Texas. This love lady is from Tennessee. Well, or I, I get confused. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee. I think I can one-up you here. Please do. Charles Harrelson is from Lovelady, Texas. The father of Woody Harrelson, famed murderer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Clear that up. Woody Harrelson, not the famed murderer. Yeah, he's a psychopathic killer. So what? But, Danny, we've talked about sentence structure before. Oh, we have. He killed a guy. <laughs> Charles. As did Brick. Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. So the famed murderer has to come before Woody Harrelson, not yeah. after. But he killed multiple people. Charles did, yes. <laughs> He's from Lovelady, Texas. I didn't realize he's from Lovelady. I'm sharing information That's that I found on Wikipedia. Because we don't want any more murderers. I yeah, think we, we should just go on to the next question. Oh. <laughs> murderers. Yeah. Oh, Clinton, he murdered a guy. Yeah, you know, we're not no, allowed to, you're not no, allowed no, to put out no, no accusations. Do you know that? You're supposed to be funny. Let's oh. get on right <laughs> The Parkins and Spiegel Show, afternoons from 2 to 6 on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. That is a classic Norm MacDonald bit. Barbara Walters hopelessly <laughs> losing control of the show and terrified. I thought it was a matter of public record. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, it's incredible. So in that situation, Shane was my ba- Barbara Walters. He's yeah. trying to reel me in. He's yeah, he trying was. to correct the sentence structure. He's like, allegedly. It was a weird day yesterday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Tanny and Shane switched sides there for a minute. They did at times. Yeah. yeah it was very there was, strange. There was a lot going on. I think the population of Lovelady, Texas used to be bigger until Woody Harrelson's dad came along. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, absolutely. It's been in decline ever since. Yep. Uh, I was spirited in, in transition. Um, the idea of this Sox stadium feeling inevitable. And what that means, yes, to the White Sox. What it means to the city is of utmost importance, obviously. And I understand the feeling that that is not being considered in this, even though most of this stuff is 
private right now. We don't exactly know yeah. how they're dealing with any of it, except what's being leaked out. Um, it's going to happen, and this private business, we can say it shouldn't and that they should take care of all of that. There is a cold-hearted cynicism. I looked it up just to remind myself. AT&T Stadium, arguably the best sports venue in the world. This is Dallas, <laughs> where Jerry Jones, with his vanity and caring about his legacy, also happened to deliver something that has been a boon to the Cowboys for decades. And his, and his billions and billions and billions of individual wealth. It's not for sure. There's not a bunch of people who are shareholders in the Cowboys, and he is not only rich because he owns the Cowboys. He got rich. He bought the Cowboys. He, he got had, richer. And he got richer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Four hundred and twenty-five million dollars in public funding for that thing. So it sucks. We should point it out. But I don't know if you noticed. There's a little bit of a discrepancy between the billionaire class. And the rest of us. Well, and and that that's their gig is to find a way to do it. Now, look, I, I'm all for Jerry finding a way to do it without public money. That is, I mean, yeah, I'm you all want for that. a lot of things. Well, I mean, Tom Ricketts <laughs> had to. Tom Ricketts had to. They tried to get the amusement tax yeah. to come their way as they were refurbishing Wrigley. And they weren't able to do it. People said, hell no, you, you figure it out. You're the billionaire. You just bought the place. So he went and figured it out. And they spent their own money on stuff. And now they own in a different way than they would have if they had to be partners with the public. And that could be the way that this thing um, ends up. I just thought that yesterday Rob Manfred mapped out a really easy rubber stamp of how this is probably going to happen where it doesn't even really get to the public fight but it, place. But that still is public money. It definitely is. Because, like, like, that, it, the, the thing in Dallas, 3% hotel occupancy tax, uh-huh. 6% rental car tax, and then it's like, well, that's the out-of-towners that yes. come to Dallas, maybe to go to this stadium or maybe to do a convention or maybe to go to a Rangers game or maybe to do whatever. But it's But that money from the out-of-towners, could still be spent on public school teachers, and it would be spent on a stadium. So any way you slice it, it is money that is going to help the billionaire class. Is there cynicism about this stadium project that isn't, well, the team stinks and they're always going to stink because that's kind of... I think you just heard some of it. I wonder, I I don't know how much it's out there amongst our listeners, you know? Well, let's open up the phone lines, 312-644-6767, and... I do want to talk about the the realities of the two locations, what it would mean, what it could look like, and that sort of thing. Because, yeah, this two miles, two L stops in this city, you could say that it shouldn't mean a lot. You, sh- you could say that it's a boogeyman. You could say that it's out-of-town perception and all that. It does mean a lot. Perception is move, reality move in terms Wrigley of— Move Field two miles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, but but yeah, but but even then, like the north side is just it's just a different thing in terms of the connectedness. And this is look, man, I ride a bike. I ride the Divi bike to Sox games and back from the South Loop to 35th. I, I love doing that. And I yeah. love going through Bridgeport King bleep. And, and right. And that's my King bleep way to do it. And, and, you know, through Bridgeport, through Chinatown. I'm comfortable doing it. A lot of people are not. It's a non-starter for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Chicagoans. And that it, sucks. And that sucks. And it shouldn't be. 
uh, on a lot of levels, but it is. It is just flatly a non-starter for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Chicagoans. And if you put it in the new spot, I don't think that's the case. And that does feel like you're capitulating to the people that perpetuate the worst things about the city. And that's why it sucked to, to be talking about that side of it for yeah. part of that conversation. And a, But a private business has to think about that stuff, right? I, well, they, they would say, yeah, it sucks. And they would say that for the PR side of it, and then they would do it because they would hope that those couple of hundred thousand people become customers. And that is just the cold-hearted reality of the business that we don't have to like but if we are looking at this with eyes wide open, we probably should acknowledge. It's Parkinson Spiegel on the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Mango. Afternoons on the score. So, so the, I, I, we got callers who want to weigh in. I do think this is fascinating. I think it's a White Sox story. I think it's a baseball story. I think it's a Chicago story. I think it's a... It's a... Socio-political story. And, socio-economic story. And it's a rich guy story. You know I like rich guy stories. You know? And like... How would you billionaire? Right. It, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff here. Speaking of that, who gets Jim Irsay's stuff? Oh, that's, another, that's another yeah, topic. I, I, um, well, so I was looking this up because... Sorry. I had, I had David Gilmore's guitar on the brain. My bad. All right. We're back. Well, there's also like... At least I sense a little bit of sensitivity in some parts of the discussion about, like, hey, is the stadium good? The stadium's okay, but the stadium is old by stadium standards. Here's the list of stadiums built before Guaranteed Rate Field. Okay. Wrigley and Fenway. Oh, yeah. I was totally going to guess those. Right. That's Do- Dodger. Th- those are, those are right. The Dodgers next. Was, that was in 62. Two were, uh, I want to say born, uh, built in 66. <laughs> Hell of a delivery. Angel Stadium. LA, oh, yeah, the big A. And Oakland. That's gone. <laughs> Ka- Kaufman in 73. Wow. But Kaufman. Big revitalization project at Kaufman. 2007 to 2009, $250 million was put in. And you know what they're doing right now? Some more of it? No. They're moving. Oh, they are. <laughs> they're moving downtown. The new owner is pushing through. They're moving. They will not be at the Truman Sports Complex next to Arrowhead anymore. They're moving. Uh, Rogers Center, 89. Tropicana Field, 90, and then guaranteed rate. All right, Tropicana is one of the worst baseball facilities of all time. The Rodgers, that, that, that's fascinating. That, that's, that's Toronto. That's Sky Dome. Yes. Which still somehow feels modern. I don't know how they're doing that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a dome. It's yeah. Canada. <laughs> it's weird things about that. There's hotels right out there yeah, in yeah, center just, field. Yeah. But, so that's the entire list. That's the entire list. So – my point is that, like, it's about time, especially when you acknowledge that they made at least one huge mistake the first time with the direction of the stadium. 
And then if you want to say another huge mistake, location, and that they they chose it for reasons and the the lease, the sweetheart deal, and all of that. Yeah, you know what? You know what I think is a real big mistake: the conditions of the lease, which don't allow them to build around the stadium because they could never do what they needed to do to try and facilitate a ballpark village of their own. So now here they are this far in with a stadium that old and they don't have one. And that's how you compete. But so like, it is, and I know there's a percentage of White Sox fans that say, listen, I don't care. Move the team. What do I care? I don't believe that that, like if that they actually came, I think that there would be some devastation. But we know that when Jerry passes, they're selling and the minority owners are selling and they're buying up the stake from the minority owners to have as much of it as they can right. so that they can. So even if let's say tomorrow, this deal fell apart, right? Just let's pretend something happened. The Oh my God. Underneath this land is an ancient burial ground and we can't build here. What it's toxic waste. I saw land. poltergeist. Yeah. yeah That'd be this? grim. Let's while just, they're building the park. Let's just pretend you can't give us who there's not one currently with the ballpark where it is now. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> But let's, let's pretend tomorrow. But, but post-2005, Tanny, people who died in 06 are buried there. <laughs> pretend tomorrow the 78 project was, was dead for some reason. It bellies up. Whenever the new owner, whoever it is, they're going to want a new stadium. Yeah, they are going to want a new stadium. It's, it's interesting. T- it's time. Both Atlanta <laughs> and Texas have moved kind of surprisingly quickly over the last five years in ways that kind of surprised people. But Atlanta, especially as a model of how you do it now, they built themselves a ballpark village. They built themselves what St. Louis has, what Fenway has created around itself, what Wrigley's trying to create around itself. Extra revenue. And that's how you can truly try and compete economically in baseball these days. We're going to talk about the new Bears coach, uh, Thomas Brown. He's got a pretty interesting backstory. We're going to play categories in the 3 o'clock hour. You're going to hear from Tom Brady because I'm – Good, good callers want to hear how Shane and Tanny feel about the idea of pushback at this idea at Sox Park. It's Parkinson Spiegel on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Yeah, Chicago sports for sure. Afternoons on the score. Let's be clear. I mean, we don't have to play games here. The White Sox are not only the second baseball team in Chicago, but there's a big gap between the Cubs and the White Sox. Uh, It wasn't that way 30 years ago. 40 years ago. Uh, you know, but th- there were things that happened that most people won't remember. You know, the White Sox putting games on cable television yeah. before there was penetration. Harry Carey moving from the south side to the north side. Uh, we may remember that, but a lot of people don't. And there, once that happened, there was there, all of a sudden, from have, being a two-team market, we became basically team number one and team number two. Moving to a site like this with this kind of project would dramatically change the relevance and the perception of the White Sox in the Chicago area. That's Mark Gannis, sports marketing expert, who's uh, a good resource on all of this stuff. And there's a ton of variables and we can push back against some and we should, but it's also interesting to live in the realities of feels like it's happening and Jerry's what, 87, right? Or did he turn 88? He's, he, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And we know upper eighties, we know he's selling after he dies and I can just say, based on just math of <laughs> of looking at the rest of those stadiums oh around boy. baseball. Here we go, Jim. No, 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 no. Not the math of, like, the oh, age, I thought, I the, math the, of, the age of, of the life. stadium. Maybe he'll live to 110. But I'm saying, 
Stop. <laughs> Actually, you say it. You say he'll live to 110. <laughs> what I'm saying. Put him on the list. What I'm saying. There's a zero percent chance. No, no, I am not comfortable with that. What I'm saying is that stadium, whoever owns it next, wants a new one. Now you could say, okay, great, do what they did last time and build it in the exact same location. Yeah. But does anybody believe whoever buys the White Sox from the current ownership group? would look at that and say that's where they would want to buy the White Sox? Does, I, does anybody believe that? I don't think that would be option one. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be something that you could do, and it might be wise because it would be cheaper to build there as long as your, you know, your deal allowed you to fully build and you were ready to invest in all sorts of things between where it is now and connect Bridgeport, Chinatown, and connect that to South Loop and all of that, or you could just go closer. I'm now fascinated with, and we'll have a lot of years to, to search into this, whether the south side ends up healthier with a thriving, healthy ballpark at Roosevelt and Canal or a middling ballpark at 35th and Shields. You know, I, it, like I, that, that, that to me is a legitimately interesting sociopolitical question that I can't pretend to know. My gut tells me a healthy south side team long term is better than not having a healthy south side team long term. The last time the White Sox averaged 30,000 plus in attendance was 2008. They won 89 games that year. Uh, they won. It was 28,000 in 2009. Every year since 2010. So the 2011 season till now. They haven't passed twenty five thousand in attendance. It's pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's go to uh, Tony. Tony's on the score. What's up, man? Here we go, Tony. Here we go. Hey James. guys. Um, first of all, I live down the street from Justin Field, so if I see a realty sign go up, I will let, be the first to let you know. <laughs> Thank sweet, you. Sweet um, if you see him walking the dog, tell him that a dog's love is everlasting. Yeah, would you? Love Uno. You see Uno in the neighborhood? <laughs> of course. Of course. Pardon me? I said, do you ever see Uno in the neighborhood? Yes. Yes. Great dog. Okay. Go on. He's, he's, yes. Okay. Uh, my thought is that, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the Ricketts have to pay out of their own pocket to do the whole Wrigleyville thing? And if so, because I remember like a ton of pushback from the city, yes. even when Emmanuel was the mayor. Yes. So why would why would taxpayer money be go into this White Sox project. I mean, I love the idea. I think it's an uh, awesome-looking uh, rendition and everything, but h- how could we pay for this? The, like, the, Rick- the Ricketts family this? has over $4 billion, and the Ricketts family owns the Cubs. Jerry Reinsdorf is the largest shareholder of the White Sox, who doesn't independently have billions of dollars, and there's a bunch of Minority owners of the White Sox. Yeah, from and from the city's perspective at the time, Cubs new rich owners, as Danny's saying, uh, you guys figure it out. The city's perspective right now is probably going to be, we just lost the Bears, and we don't want to lose the White Sox too. And this would be good as part of our burgeoning South Loop that is on the rise. Wrigleyville was doing just fine at the time. I think the motivation of the city and of city council and such will be much greater to help the White Sox facilitate this than it was to help the Cubs facilitate cleaning up their own place. Yeah, I just think it's the Cubs thing is a pretty massive outlier in sports anywhere. Because they were already healthy. Like, they've gotten healthier and better and stronger, and it's made them more viable. But they were already sitting on a, sitting on a good business where people went to see it, whether you were, they were good or not. Well, but so were the Cowboys. Yeah. 
and they still got it done. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a, it is an extreme outlier. Well, how about this? Nobody thought that the Ricketts family was really going to move. Nobody really bought Rosemont as a thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, Tom grew, Tom grew up as a fan in the bleachers. Like It's, it's Wrigley Field. Yeah. It's Wrigley Field. It, it, it's, it's Wrigley Field. You love the place. You convinced your dad to help you buy the place. <laughs> you want to be at the place. We know this. Yeah, yeah, right. There was not much leverage to that threat. No question. Uh, but it it's it's arguing that like that Kurt Warner became a Hall of Famer because he was at a, they found him at a grocery store. You know, it's 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 arguing the exception to the rule. Oh well, we we have a team in town that has done it without public funding, without any tax dollars. With okay, everyone else basically. I mean, is there another example there, of, a, of a grocery store no, bagger no, no, who no, went onto the Hall of, of Fame? Of, of, of a, John Starks of a stadium that's been built in the last. 40 years without a dollar of public funding. I don't know. It's a great question. Is there one example? Can we have Mark Janis, sh- or does he belong to Mully and Haw? I mean, that's Googleable. Uh, Rick is in his car. He's on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. What up, Rick? What's up, fellas? What's up, fellas? Listen, the, the Sox never got involved with their neighborhood, you know? Mm-hmm. They never. They, they could have had a, a gold mine over there, but they never got involved with the neighborhood like the, the Cubs did. All right, and you know why? Because of Bridgeport. As a kid, I got chased going to the amphitheater, right, in that neighborhood. Hmm. And I'm 70 years old. And if I get out my car right now and walk down the street in Bridgeport, I'm gonna get chased again. The, the so it's the neighborhood and them not getting involved with the neighborhood. You well, could bring a pile of people there. Well, I would just say I, I know the Sox would dispute that they haven't gotten involved in the neighborhood. Name one thing they put up over there. I mean, that, that put, they've built over there. Well, there's name one thing they put up. Well, there have been reasons why they can't name one build. Thing they put up. B- b- building is. You're not, talking about, you're not talking about like the ACE program and things like that. You're not, you're talking you're talking about infrastructural investment in the neighborhood. Right. You could. You, they could have had meetings with businessmen and build that neighborhood up just like the Cubs did. The Bulls did it. They suck right now today, but they got their community together. They did it. The Bears even you could go to, when the Bears game, you could walk over from Michigan Avenue. All those places to pull up. You know why? Mm-hmm. They all got involved with the neighborhood. Yeah, it's, in, it's, a, it's an interesting point, Thanks an interesting for the call. call. Rick. And, and Rick's reality, uh, you know, we need to hear it and, and need to take it in and, and, and understand it. He's, he's talking about the neighborhood itself of Bridgeport versus the neighborhood where Rick is coming from and, and how he feels he's welcomed or not within the neighborhood. That is, a, that is a nuanced topic, and it's different from, like, the ACE program, as you mentioned, or the many different things the White Sox have done to try and reach out and what White Sox charities have done, because they've certainly done a lot of things to try and reach out, but him feeling a sense of, and that's an anecdotal example, right? Like that's something that, so, so that's just his reality. And it, but it does speaks to speak to like the, the, the stratification on the South side and, and the racial tensions on the South side, which I can't pretend to feel or understand. So, these guys over here, because Lawrence said he's back when Jerry is no longer the owner of the team. We've got Shane and Tanny who have publicly complicated relationships with the current version of the White Sox. Tanny, how do you take in this conversation as someone who my perception of you is 
you're pretty down on the White Sox, but you're pretty pumped about this idea. Yeah, this is there's a lot of layers here. Like I, I am. whatever comes first, whether I would like to be in attendance in the first game in the new park or whether there's new ownership, whatever comes first, I'm I'm here and I'm, and I'm back. And the reality is I'm going to be back this season because like I said before, my family's still going to want to go to games. So I'm not going to like pretend like I'm out, 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 out. It's just, you're, you're you're depriving yourself of one of life's joys of going to baseball games. Like don't want to be that way. But I think there is something to this where I feel like this organization could benefit by being in a more centralized location because it's, you know, got a proud tradition on the south side i understand that but a couple things here a new owner could come in and could move you out of the south side completely could move you out of chicago completely so this is almost like this is the best deal we may be able to get at this point for Sox fans and it's not even a bad deal because i think if you move your stadium and move your fan base to a more centralized location where you can possibly get more fringe fans get more people that are just connected to your team that's only good for your fan base and your organization and for the brand of the team as a whole, because then all of a sudden uh, a fan base, which has been a historically pretty small part of the, of the pie here for years and years, for as long as I've been alive easily could get bigger. And all of a sudden you're maybe co- competing with the Cubs a little bit for the entertainment dollar. Cause not, you're, you're not really doing that now, but it doesn't even have to be competing, but it's just like you have a chance here to, Make your fan base larger. The very simplest way I could put it. You can get more fans, get different fans, and I think this, this organization needs a hard reboot right now. And I, and I hate the fact, I know there's a lot of people on the South Side don't want to see them leave. We know a lot of great people down there who own businesses yes. who I'm sure will not love this. You know what I mean? Like Cork, all of our friends at Cork, stuff like that. But Maybe they'll pick up Cork. They'll pick up Cork with a giant shovel. And just bring it over and put it like on Wabash and yeah. and Thirteenth. Uh, they, they probably hate Cork because we're we're buying beers over there more than we are at the park. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But see, I, that's interesting because they 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 did fight. And they didn't build around Thirty Fifth Street, and they also didn't want it to happen. And and Mayor Daly the second also didn't want the build up to happen. And maybe yeah. that Sox protecting their in stadium income like you're talking about they really well, blew it in that way and also i don't know what they were allowed to to touch around the ballpark like i'm not gonna pretend to know about the logistics of that you got the church over there you got expressways over here and of course you got to have your parking lots you know what i mean so i don't know what goes into that i would say that the area of bridgeport now is a lot more ethnically diverse got a lot of stuff going on there in a positive manner so i i'm not going to dispute that that man's experiences because everyone has their own experiences but maybe Go over there now and see. You may find something you like over there now. You know what I mean? There's great restaurants over there. Yeah. Like that's part of what perpetuates all this from both sides. You know what I mean? Like that that and that stuff is ugly. But the bottom line for me is if you want more fans, if you want to be able to compete with the the New Yorks and the LAs and the Cubs in terms of your spending dollars and free agency, mm-hmm. this is a good way to get to that point. I think if you just have more fans. Shane looked this up for me before the show. Uh just in terms of like walkability score, bikeability, transit score, where guaranteed rate is walkability score 66, bikeability 57. So good job by you biking there all the time. Yeah. Tra- uh, public tra- <laughs> transit score seven, 74. Clark- That's out of 100, by the way. Be clear there, out of 100. Thank you. Clark and Roosevelt. I thought it was like walk score plus. You know what I mean? That 100 was the base. My 90 point. walkability, 97 transit, 90, 92 bikeability. Wow. And and that is again, it's a product of how the neighborhood stands right now. Exactly, of course. Mm-hmm. And like and 
it would have been amazing, obviously, if the ballpark there would have spurned that development and growth and all of that. And partly because of the lease, partly because of stereotypes, partly because of a hundred different reasons, it hasn't. Yeah. And so the new owner is going to be like, well, what about this? Yeah. You know? Well, it sucks, man. I, I, two things for you. One is your question about what stadiums have been built without public funding is one we should look into more. But the United Center is the first answer. The United Center was right. built by Reinsdorf and Wirtz. You know, like almost entirely the, the, the state and the city had, it did help with a little bit of infrastructure, but they found ways to, to do it by themselves. And maybe Jerry will have to do that. He might, he might end up having to do that again. There will be, it'll be a lot harder to make complaints against this if that ends up happening. You know, if, if, that, if that ends up happening. That's That'll good. remove a lot of anger about it. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot harder to do. Shane, what do you think of this whole, of, of the whole conversation around this? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, there are so many facets, facets to the conversation because you could be located anywhere if you have a good ball club, right? And the White Sox have not had a good ball club in a very long time. And it doesn't look like currently with this developmental staff and this leadership, the ball club's going to get much better. So if you want more monetary resources for your ball club outside of immediate new ownership, put it in a place where you can access more people. I use this word often in this conversation. It's about perception. Bridgeport is not far from the South Loop. It's not. It's a 10-minute car ride, 10-minute cab ride, two stops on the red line, whatever. It's not far. You can get there from the Metro, red line, green line. Eight-minute bike ride. it's, It's so easy to get to Bridgeport. But the perception of looking on a map and seeing or standing on Michigan Avenue from us looking down, we'd be able to see standing on Michigan and Lake, that's where the White Sox play. It's all about perception. If you can get something with the brand new toy, brand new whistle, shiny bells, whatever on it, there are going to be more people who want to go check that out. And maybe if it's still the Reinsdorf family and their minority shareholders or whatever at the time when there is a new stadium, maybe that inspires those people to spend a little bit more money. So I would love a new stadium. I like the current one. I love Bridgeport. Every time I'm looking to move, I always scope out apartments in Bridgeport first. I haven't found the right one for me, but, like, I love Bridgeport. But this is modernization. Good stuff, Shane. A texter says, what about drivability? It's easy to get to the current park from Southwest Burbs. It, that's true. There are a lot, a lot of suburban Sox fans who like to drive to Sox Park, tailgate, park, hang out. That will be a little bit – that'll that'll be more difficult. That'll be more difficult, more congested. You'll keep coming up to Dan Ryan, and then you'll get off at Lakeshore right there, and then you'll just come up another mile, and then you'll either park oh. at the convention center. You'll park – there will be parking lots. Oh, it'll be, it'll I be don't more know. congested. The drivability is going to be worse. It's, it's going to be a lot worse. But, but if you factor in getting off the ramp on the Dan Ryan, going up to the stadium, and then weaving in and out to either get to lot A, B, C, D, or whatever, you might add 10 more total minutes because the fee into the parking lot uh-huh. where it will be on 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 uh, Canal and Roosevelt is much easier than the one and a half lane feed in on the 35th from the Dan Ryan. I don't, I don't like know. the feed into those lots. That's true. It is a pain. In it's the horrible. Test. And I always go to the wrong one. Horrible. Right. And, then, and then we're talking about our, our pals over at Cork and Cork and Kerry. And a texture reminds us of McCuddy's, the saga of McCuddy's. McCuddy's was a bar. Legendary story. That was that since 1910 had been across the street from old Comiskey Park. And when they were building the new place... Babe Ruth would go there, allegedly. Oh, wow. All the players, like, back in the day would go there. Love that. So when they were building the new place, 
the owners of McCuddy's were psyched, and then they realized, oh, we're going to have to be moved. We're going to have to, like, be destroyed or whatever. And they were saying, well, no, well, we don't want that. And the governor stepped in. Governor Jim Thompson stepped in and said, look, we'll make sure you get a new place. We'll make sure we set you up in a new place nearby. And they're still waiting. So so, they, so Jerry and, and they didn't take care of McCuddy's back then. I don't know if they'll take care of Billy and Cork now. Uh Bruce texted and said, Texas and Atlanta have both had two ballparks since the rate was created. Yeah, man, that's the thing. Texas and Atlanta both were like, are they getting new? And I can't believe they are. But to Shane's point, you want to be good as a baseball infrastructure, but you need the financial infrastructure and the ballpark village to give them a budget to make you truly viable. I would have guessed more than the number are older than guaranteed rate. It doesn't feel that old. I was surprised at it. It's It's just it's a very small number of parks that are older, and three of them are untouchables. Dodger Stadium, Wrigley, and Fenway. And then all of the other ones, you'd be like, eh, that place isn't great. Or they're moving. You know what I mean? Like, Kauffman, massive renovation, and they're moving. Rogers Center, currently going under a nine-figure renovation. Oakland, no longer there. Tropicana, brutal. And Angel Stadium. Dodger, That's the list. Yeah, the three untouchables. It's interesting because Dodger like has a stately vibe that doesn't seem to age. You know, it, just like Mary Hart doesn't age in the first yeah, row. There's something about it. Something about it that that place just doesn't doesn't seem to age. Um, because they haven't done the massive renovation, and I don't know how much people are calling for it. But no, that was good research. I I, I was surprised that it was that. They have done a, res- uh, a renovation there at Dodger Stadium. At Dodger? It's beautiful. Yeah, I was there. Oh, okay. Uh, 2018. Uh, it was mostly like concourse and other ah. things, like just for modern upkeep. My bad. Upkeep, but it's it's brilliant and it's really nice. But getting in and out of there is still the as bad as it gets anywhere in baseball. And talk about a uh, a cemetery underneath. Talk about a burial ground Ooh, underneath. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, next caller. Oh <laughs> boy, built on uh, on an awful, awful legacy. Let's displace the Mexicans. It's terrible. Just horrendous. Well, take that out of context. Well, yeah. <laughs> that would be terrible. I don't, I don't want you to do that. Don't do that. I'm saying it, that's it, what it, they it, did. It's the type of thing you shouldn't even think about Thank doing. Thank you. Thank you. We'll play Danny, for having my back. No problem. We'll, we'll, we'll play categories in just over 20 minutes. Um, maybe a little bit more on this, but also one of the all-time minds, one of the great minds of our generation. We told you we found Snoop Dogg talking about Caleb Williams, okay? Yeah. We have a similar... Brilliant level mind. This time talking about Justin Fields. Next on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. The legend Bill Curtis. A Bill. tremendous honor for you to be on the Parkinson well, Spiegel Show on the score. Much. I'd want to be nowhere else but here. Afternoons on the score. Look at the lady with the big glasses. One night he just woke up and yelled, Watson! What is that? Is it a Sherlock Holmes reference or something? No, I think that's a reference to Deshaun Watson, who the Jets passed on drafting in 2017. That's what I think that is. Sunday. That was close-ish. What, the sound that I made? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about when, when Jeff Garland was part of Cubs opening day and Tributosaurus had to learn the, the theme. So we had to figure out, all right, who's going to play this part? Who's going to do this? We don't have a tuba. Yeah. Right, bass player, do that part, you know? Yeah. I think I sang some little thing to make it a thing. But anyway, Sunday is yeah, exactly. yeah. season 12 of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Incredible. Comes back, and it's the he's actually 
firmly on the record that it's the final season. He's said it before, uh, but people are like, why should we believe you this time? And he says, because I'm 76 years old. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the guy was there for, what, nine of the ten seasons of Seinfeld and now 12 seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So that's 21 seasons of some of the most impactful situational yeah. comedy spanning, what, 35 years? Early 90s to mid-2020s. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty pretty insane comedic genius. And he's doing press for Curb. And he's doing a little bit more press than he normally does because it's the last season. So he, he's getting his flowers a little bit. So he went on the Bill Simmons podcast uh, over at The Ringer. And I haven't heard this yet. But apparently, noted Jets superfan Larry David was talking about the 2021 draft in Justin Fields. Boy, it's amazing how that draft worked out for those quarterbacks. If you look at that Wilson draft, okay, Lawrence, he's doing well, not great. Right. And then Wilson, forget it, a bust. Fields. Fields not sure yet. Not sure. Maybe not working out. Right. And then Jones. And, and wait, Trey Lance, number three. Right. Trey Lance yeah. didn't have a moment. So, yeah. So if the Jets didn't draft Wilson, the only other quarterback who possibly could have worked was Fields. And I could guarantee you he wouldn't have worked either. It would have been the, the same thing. He would have yeah. been just running around. Same thing. Exactly. Oh, my God. The learned Jets cynicism of Larry David. That's the only franchise who can claim it perhaps even worse than the Bears. I mean, they did have Namath. They, they, they have a 4,000-yard passer. It just happens to be Namath. who threw for like 4,006 yards 60 years ago. And, and, and has the worst stats of any Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, but that that is a Jets fan looking at a Bears fan in the Spider-Man meme and saying, we know what you've gone through. We would ruin that quarterback, too. We couldn't get it right. All right, couple fields. Not sure yet. Not sure. That is, that is Larry David saying he's not sure about Justin Fields. And he's a genius. So how are we supposed to know? If that guy doesn't know, how are we supposed to know? I know. I've decided I know. Yeah, you've decided. I, I've decided I know. I get no. But, but, I mean, I think I know. Too. You think you, you think you know? But who the hell knows? I, who the, but who the, who the hell knows is <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely true. All these guys, man. All these people. They think they really know football and they want to have a conversation. All I got to do is get them on the phone. It's just funny. It's to, just that easy, apparently. It's funny to me that Larry David knows Trey Lance's name. And knows he went third. You know what I mean? Like, like Trey Lance has played four games in the NFL, but the NFL is so big that of course Larry David knows. How deep, his team drafted a quarterback this year, and he follows the league. How deep could our could our guy Bill Fickner go on the Marv Levy Bills? You know? Yeah, he's a real fan. He's a real fan. He could, he could go deep. If you're a real fan, you can go deep, and you start talking about Daryl Talley. You yeah. know? I mean, but like, I think it's in play that Bill Fickner knows who Tevin Jenkins is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it just depends. It depends how much time you spend wasting on this stuff. It depends how much time you play fantasy football. It depends how much you gamble. Tevin, the- bad pick in fantasy football. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Guards don't score well in that no. league. In Max League, though, you got to know the offensive line. <laughs> Go ahead, Shane. Defend him. Defend Tevin Jenkins. He doesn't score in fantasy football because of Chris Morgan, the line coach. That's why. Sorry, Shane, is that not how we're going to do it? I don't know. It's just a funny thing to hear that guy. Like, that guy can do anything with what he wants with his time at any time. He knows everybody. Everyone knows him. He has 
hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and he is keenly aware of who Trey Lance is. The only other quarterback <laughs> who possibly could have worked was Fields. And I could guarantee you he wouldn't have worked either. It would have been the Jets. same thing. He would have yeah. been just running around. Same thing. Exactly. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, God. All right. I like this angle. So, so far we have Snoop Dogg on Caleb. Yeah, and he's a good friend. Yeah, and we've got Larry David on Justin. We need to keep collecting these between now and the draft. Just well, celebrities talking about those two figures until a decision has been made. Oh, so you know who we need to add to Shane's list of guests that'll drive him crazy because they're A-listers that are probably impossible to get. He loves when you do this, especially on the air. Yeah. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell. Big USC football big, guy. Big USC guy. I think his kid is at USC. Didn't he show up DJing at that frat party? He's on the field yeah. all the time. He definitely knows it, it might be a little bit more doable now. He's, he's promoting a documentary uh, about his best friend, SNL writer. I can't remember the person's name, but transitioned to be to a woman at like age 53 or 54. Hmm. His uh, best friend of like 30 years. Really? Yeah. Really? I, I did know not that. know that story. Was on SNL with him. Okay. Yeah. Well, very Will, cool. Will Farrell, we'll, let's make it our. It's tough. He's very tight with the Dan Patrick Show universe. But, like, prediction, we will hear Will Farrell's take on Caleb Williams to the Bears, whether it's on our show or somewhere else. We will get that opinion before well, April. Well, we have some things on our side. We've uh, got Paul Pabst, obviously, uh, which yep. is feeding him the idea. I'm sure someone's going to tell him. Yep. Uh, maybe he can get that for us yeah. uh, if we can't get Will himself. That's smart. But we'll also have to scrub all the Adam McKay stuff from our podcast. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> we can't let on that we've talked to Adam McKay, the running backs coach of the Jacksonville Jack. Wars. That will not go over well with Will. Would Speaks be able to interview Will Farrell without making an Adam McKay reference? I could add a Holocaust reference. <laughs> oh. Just to clean it well, up. Then, then we'll be fine. But Will would yes end the hell out of that. <laughs> I have no doubt. I've, I have no doubt either. But it's kind of exciting that the Bears are in the... They're in the zeitgeist, They're man. in the zeitgeist. They're a lot smack of people dab. are going to be weighing in on this. Smack dab in the middle. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Informed and uninformed with an equal chance of getting it right. Sounds like the station. <laughs> because it's drafting quarterbacks. In the end. What is the tagline that would be? The score, the home of the informed <laughs> and the uninformed. Uh, it's been a while. I think I have three good categories. Oh, though. I'm excited. I'm just playing. I don't, I, I, I'm, I, calling I play. my, I'm calling my shot. Okay. None of you guys are going to have any problem with any of the three categories. Really? Yeah, it's probably not true, but I think they're pretty good. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. And here's the controversy. Listen, we love fun, right? Afternoons on the score. It's been a while. So, I think it's time to play the game. We're playing the game? <laughs> well, yes, we're playing the game. Do we have to play the game? <laughs> What's the game? <laughs> the game is categories you play along today i am the host three categories normally things that we're talking about on the show two sports one not speaks will go first tanny will go first on the second category shane will go first on the third category shane normally wins we go around and around until uh, we are done with the category or someone has made a wrong guess. And those listening can play along. Meanwhile, I, I got to make sure I'm making sure the text screen is not up. So I get any help. That's right. Yeah. Take the text screen down, you guys. You're, you're the only one who's ever read off the text screen during categories. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm issuing the warning. They, yeah. they turn the Twitch into emojis so we can't see on Twitch. So yeah. it's, it's brilliant. All right. Kyle Shanahan 
tied his dad, Mike, with eight playoff wins. Mentioned that fact on the show the other day. Name the 23 coaches in the NFL, past and present, with more all-time playoff wins hmm. than Kyle Shanahan, who is coaching in this year's Super Bowl. Speaks. All right, so 23 coaches with more than eight. Yes, sir. Don Shula. Don Shula is, of course, on the list at number four with 19. Tanny. Andy Reid. Andy Reid is second with 25. Bill Cowher. Bill Cower is on the list at number nine with 12. Bill Belichick. Is, of course, number one with 31 all-time playoff wins. Tanny. Uh, I'm turtling. Uh... Uh, Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells is number 11 with 11 all-time postseason wins. Yes, sir. Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is not on the list because he doesn't often win in the postseason. And that was a criteria for the category, correct? Yeah. yeah. I feel like he's just there enough to, like, you win one Super Bowl and you're in the playoffs often. I thought that for sure. Yeah, Yeah, no, Mike Tomlin. Good guess. Totally reasonable guess, but not on the list. I'll go Marv Levy. Marv Levy is on the list with uh, 11 playoff wins. How about Jimmy? Jimmy Johnson is on the list. Wow. He's at number 20 with nine. (laughs) Just barely. if If Kyle Shanahan wins... The Super Bowl, where oh. he is, he ties Jimmy Johnson. Ooh. Amazing, he's down there, huh? Yeah, he's, down, down, he's down there. <laughs> down there, um, he's, he's tied with four other guys. How about Joe Gibbs? Joe Gibbs is on the list. He is fifth all time with number seventeen, with seventeen wins. Excuse me. Hmm. Um, did anyone say Mike Holmgren? No, great guess. He is seventh all time with thirteen postseason wins. Oh boy, gotta go back now. Um, hmm, how? Whew. How about Tom Landry? There we go. He's number three all time with 20 postseason wins. So you guys now have the top five uh, all taken care of. They would say Bill Walsh. Nobody did say Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh is 16th all time with 10 postseason wins. Good guess, Danny. All righty. Now we enter (laughs) trouble land. How about Chuck Knoll? There we go. Number six all time with 16 postseason wins. You guys are doing very well. How how about uh, John Madden? There we go. Wow. He is tied with Jimmy Johnson for nine career postseason wins. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, how about Dan Reeves? There we go. Dan Reeves, 13th all time, with a, tied with a bunch of other guys, but uh, with 11 postseason wins. How about Hank Stram? Hank Stram is not uh, on I the list. I tip my cap to you, Speaks. Oh, that was a well good played. run. Good run, gentlemen. Uh, we Active coaches, Sean Payton with nine. Of course. Uh, and Mike McCarthy with 11. Oh, wow. We don't acknowledge Yeah, him, you said and, he was bad, though. And, <laughs> and John Harbaugh. John, John Harbaugh, Harbaugh. I was going to guess with, John with Harbaugh. Uh, uh, Tom Coughlin on the list. Tony, I thought about Tom Coughlin. Tony Dungy. Uh, Rosie Cheek Tom is what we call him Vince, in my house. Vince Lombardi. Pete Carroll. Vince Lombardi was. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put a seal here and a seal there. They do the trophy for him, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, exactly. Pete Carroll also would have been a good guy. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Good run, though, Tanny. And right. Shane. Good run. Tomlin is solid guest. All right. What the hell's 
<laughs> Basketball category. Oh, boy. What the hell, dude? <laughs> we got a doctor in the yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. Speeds and I don't have extra schooling. <laughs> You're a junkie, though. <laughs> we have said. Sober up. Oh, Recovery. That maybe the only bright spot of this bull season has been Kobe White's emergence. He is averaging 2.8 made three-pointers per game. Oh, my God. There are only 22 players in the league making more three-pointers per game. This is a current NBA category. This is a current NBA category. (laughs) Yeah. It puts Kobe White. These names will be Kobe White's peers this season in terms of made three-pointers per game. Listen, I've been on sabbatical, so this is going to be a tough one for me. All right. You can throw some names, though, that that would make sense. Uh, Steph Curry. He is number one, believe it or not. Nailed that. One of my top clients. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You keep him healthy, man. That's why he's number one. Dump that, yeah. Hip up, hip up. <laughs> uh, Luca. Luca is number two. Uh, Trey Young. Trey Young is number 11 for three pointers made per game. Yes. Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson mm. is number four. Wow. Yeah, Clay Thompson, number four. I apologize. Wow, Andy, all the way I, up there at number I four. I apologize for the pregnant pause there. He is number four. Uh, CJ McCollum. Is number five. Very well. Very, wow. very good. Very good. Who are you? Wow. Very good. Big shooter. Very good. One, two, four, and five, and 11 have been checked off the list. How about James Harden? How about James Harden? No, sir. Oh, my God. James Harden, not at having more three-pointers made per game than uh, our guy Kobe White. The shame. No, the shame is real. he is actually he's at two point seven. Kobe is at two point eight. Yep, mm. right there. Uh, I still get to go, right? Yes, you get to go. Uh, Devin Booker. Devin Booker. Oh, great guess. Is a great guess that is also incorrect. Wow, oh, man. Yeah, this is the company that Kobe White is keeping. It's impressive this year. Shane. Uh, the heartbreak man himself, Laurie Markkinen. There we go, number thirteen in the in the NBA. <laughs> Shane Reard, the junkie, has sobered up enough. Uh, Paul George is third in the NBA. Oh yeah. So, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Lamelo Ball, oh, Donovan course. Mitchell, Jason Tatum up D- there. Uh, Jason Tatum is at nineteen. Damian Lillard, Fred VanVleet, oh. Kyrie Irving. But those are the names. That's incredible. That are in front of Kobe White in terms of made three pointers per game. All right, those are two good se- sports categories right. by Danny. Love Let's the applaud. Man, Let's applaud the, the star of categories right here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, Shane goes first on this. Okay. Dan, you have the answers very quickly. I will say that Thank about you. Your- yeah, he's doing very well. <laughs> he speaks. See what he's doing? <laughs> I, I, I'm I've been well- good lately. I'm organized. I'm trying this we year. haven't done it lately. Yeah, it's been a while. It's a good point. It's been a while. <laughs> All right, Speaks is back from the Dominican Republic. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Uh, the DR is one of 21 countries that lists Spanish as its native language. Wow. I'm looking for the other 20 primary Spanish-speaking country. I know what Shane's going to guess. I know exactly where you're going. Can I say Mexico? You absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's not what I was expecting. Mexico, believe it or not, is on okay. the list. I'd, I'd like to guess. Go ahead. My next? Spain. Spain is, 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 is... Good one. I feel good about that one. Yeah. Thank you. Spain is also on the list. Tanny. Guatemala. Guatemala is, of course, <laughs> Got to. on the list. And in his house. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Colombia. Colombia is on the list. Uh, Brazil. Brazil is not on yeah. the list. No, it's they, Portuguese. Yes. Yeah. Portuguese. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my not God. On the list. <laughs> you idiot. Brazil is not on the list. Oh, my God. It's Portuguese. Yeah. 
I was like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, no, not on the list. Uh, Danny. I, I'm not going to guess Brazil. <laughs> I don't you, think it's you, on the list. Take it back. <laughs> take it back. You, you've guessed. We're looking for Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, Speaks is out in the second round. Ecuador. Ecuador is, of course, on the list. Venezuela. Venezuela is, of course, on the list. Honduras. Honduras is, of course, on the list. Costa Rica. Costa Rica is, of course, on the list. Not Brazil, though, right? (laughs) (laughs) What about Portugal? (laughs) He's kidding, I think. Yes, I am kidding. Danny, guess France. (laughs) Guess France. Did you have a guess? Belize, yeah. Belize... Belize is not on my list. Okay. Right, I think enough. I think English. Yeah. I no. think English yeah. or Belize. Okay. Belize is not on okay. my list. Uh, Bolivia. Bolivia. <laughs> Bolivia is yeah. on the list. Yes. Uh, Puerto Rico, Cuba. Um, El Salvador. El Salvador. Salvador. Equatorial Guinea would have worked Argentina. There. Uruguay. Arge- yep. Chile, Uruguay. Yeah, yep. How, how about Brazil? Brazil, Brazil still <laughs> not on the list. So and back to the tech screen and Peoria Matt says, Brazil, you there, man? <laughs> All right, man. All right, man. How do you say no in Portuguese? <laughs> how do you say idiot in Portuguese? Wow. Oh, man. Okay. That's pretty good. That's so, good. So those are the three categories. So who won? Shane. Again. No. I won category. No, you won NBA in Spanish speaking. Oh, I won NBA. Yeah, That's long right. time, long time hoops guy. Yeah, right. and Spiegs won the uh, the coaching one. The coaching one. Yeah. So there we go. How about that? By the way, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan could tie Vince Lombardi, Jimmy Johnson, John Madden, Sean Payton, and, yeah. to- and Tony Dungy. It's an interesting interesting category because, of course, the playoffs are longer now. So I mean, potentially there could be an extra game in there when you get in on the early side. Yeah, playoffs, have been, but I mean, they've been, there's been wild card in the NFL for a long time. It's true. Right? So, so it's just. But it's, going back to Landry and, yes. and Noel, it's yes. like how many years they were in there. Yes, no um, question. And, and, and most of Shula's career, and of course, Lombardi. That's why I'm surprised that Lombardi. Lombardi with nine, Bud Grant with 10, George uh, Seifert with 10, Bill wow. Walsh with 10. George Seifert with 10. Yes. Cleaning up Bill Walsh's scraps. Probably yeah. should give him a little more credit than that. I mean, Mike, dude, Mike, if Mike McCarthy gets one more, he's top 10 all time in postseason wins. If he gets one more playoff win. Well, it's probably not going to happen down there. I, I mean, it, he was the two seed this year. Did you see what Jerry Jones said? I this, sure did. Today? Yeah, he's, he's not going to rule out working with Bill Belichick in the future. <laughs> he's giving life to the Belichick thing, which burnishes. She's trying to burnish his own reputation because it's taken a deserved hit over these last few weeks as he's a guy who is much more conservative historically than his kind of maverick profile and reputation would have you believe. Like, he's happy to have a good, solid business yeah. that makes a lot of money, and he, he's not truly cold-blooded in trying to build a winner. And, and it, it just adds an extra layer to all the Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wanstead kerfuffle that we've been yeah. behind the scenes for some of this year and last year, doesn't it? Yeah, no, no question. But there's also, and I heard Florio giving some credence to this, of like the filter that really never existed also f- seems to be lessening a little bit. He's guy's 81 years old, hmm. and he loves a headline and a microphone and a Johnny Walker blue, and yeah. he, he's got a very high don't give a bleep quotient. So like, did he wake up that morning thinking that he would – Link himself to Bill Belichick, or was he just asked the question and he gave an answer, he gave an and answer he and just doesn't care about it at all? Just doesn't care and genuinely kind of waffles back and forth on the thing. Doesn't he is not thinking of Mike McCarthy when he says that? 
You know, I, I, I do think that there is something. That's why he's such a fascinating interview. Yeah. Because he's very powerful with no filter. It's rare. You know, so I, I, I don't. Like, I don't know if I give that any credence that next year Bill Belichick. No, like, no, he, I, I don't he, necessarily he, he, give he, it credence. I, I, I read it as just like cult of personality. And if anything, it's just him throwing it out there to try and make himself seem like he's more right. relevant and more possibly going to do a move like that. Right. Uh, in an hour, we got potential a little less, probably 445 or so. We have an all-timer potentially uh, from Shane that we're very much looking forward to. But. It sounded like Tom Brady might have inadvertently been describing what Ryan Poles is trying to build when answering a question about his experiences. We want to test this theory out next on The Score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. I mean, you guys are the best team in Chicago. Everybody knows that. We all know that the afternoon show is not afraid of anything, really. Yeah. But Afternoons on The Score. Bill says it every year during training camp. He doesn't care who you are, where you're from, how much money you make, what your contract says. If you can help this organization win football games, then you'll be here. There is no ceiling put on someone when they get here. They create their own. That is Rob Ninkovich, longtime Patriot under Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in the Patriot way. And we're trying to figure out Ryan Poles, and I think we're getting a pretty good read on him. He's... He talks a little bit more than most general managers. I'd say an above-average amount. He's a little bit more of a straight shooter than most general managers. And, as always, you can judge these guys by their actions. And we're starting to put together multiple drafts, multiple in-season trades, multiple coaching hiring cycles, free agency, that sort of thing. And we're getting a little bit of a read on, I think, what we have here. In Ryan Poles. I think that's true because I think a lot of people say stuff on the front end that sounds great and inspiring and it's always different from what the last guy had shown you. So we kind of fall in love with some of that. But some of the things that Poles talked about have proven to be things he still seems to care about. Yeah, like character. And obviously we've talked a ton about they, they've got to figure out if Caleb Williams has the stuff bucket to the level that Justin Fields has it, right? And that's the thing that we're going to try to do, but that we don't know. But before we do any of that, listen to how Tom Brady on the McAfee show talks about the Patriot way and if this is something that you could see Ryan Poles trying to do. I've never used that term in my entire life. I think when people say it, I'm always like, what's the Patriot way? It sounds like the title of a book. Um, I think what we tried to do was we tried to do things the right way. I think we tried to practice the right way and prepare the right way. What happened on game day was ultimately a reflection of what we practiced. And I thought we had great leadership from our coaches and it filtered down to the guys who really drove the culture. We had so many guys that I played with over the course of a lot of years that, you know, really understood that, okay, I'm going to care about my teammates and I'm going to care about helping the team win. And whatever personal agenda you had, individual success and individual awards, I don't want to make those insignificant, but they weren't as significant as what we were trying to accomplish as a team. And I think being a real selfless player and understanding that if the ball didn't come your way as a receiver and it went somewhere else, that was a great thing for the team, as opposed to a lot of times, you know, if it doesn't go to you or if you don't make the tackle, I mean, you get frustrated that you don't feel like you're a part of it. To me, it was always when we'd score touchdowns, we'd celebrate with the O-line because without them, we didn't have anything. We didn't have, we, I didn't have time to throw the ball. We didn't have 
holes that we could open up in the O-line for our backs to get through. We didn't have, you know, when we had tight end like Gronk at the point of attack, and early in my career, Dan Graham, one of the great blockers that I've ever seen, you know, we could run to the tight end, and that tight end now could release up the seam and throw the ball for a big gain on, on third down. You can get to big targets in the red area. But again, it was all teamwork. It was the running backs blocking and pass protection so that the receivers could catch the ball. And then it was receivers blocking in the run game so we could spring our backs for long runs. Those were the things that I thought we celebrated a lot as a team that maybe aren't glorified on television, but those are the things I'd like to point out when I'm on Fox next year. It's that this is the ultimate team sport. This is, we're playing chess out there. We're not thinking about you know, necessarily where the ball is. I'm looking for things that are creating these opportunities for everybody to make plays, whether it's offense, defense, or in the kicking game. The coach was going to be hard on me. I was going to accept the difficult coaching because I needed to hear it. And again, it motivated me. And there was a lot of players on our team that would see me get coached hard and that they would say, okay, I got to step my game up because I don't want to get yelled at. Tom's getting yelled at. I don't want to get yelled at. Yeah. How do I up my game. And and I think that's what accountability looks like. And and you can't have your ego so big that, you know, any criticism is going to, you know, lessen your confidence. I hate selfish teammates. I don't like being around people that are self-serving and always trying to create their own self-serving narrative about who they are. I mean, look, you're going out there in the Super Bowl in two weeks. You're going to be tested. And if your coach tests you and your teammates test you, then you can go beat your competition. You know, if they're not testing you and you're waiting for game day to figure things out, you're at a disadvantage. That is team chemistry porn right there. <laughs> that is good vibes, team, teammateship um, porn. That, that's, that's amazing. And that's what we've always heard that Brady was about every step of the way. And that guy who, like, coach me hard. Go ahead. And yeah, hey, I mean, it's like the most famous Belichick-Brady story other than the cheating is the, that he would always – pick a time to put up a video early in a season of Brady making a bad throw, making a misread, throwing a pick, and go a little extra hard on it. Mm-hmm. With it, it like, so then all the new guys who hadn't seen it happen before would be like, whoa. You know what I mean? And this was, yeah. this was five rings into their relationship. You know what I mean? This was something that he would do for multiple MVPs, and it was just a thing that he did to kind of set the tone that no, 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 nobody's beyond this sort of thing. Man, you you know me, and listeners know me, and like I've tried to talk about this kind of thing in terms of baseball, obviously, but really in terms of all sports. But I think about it in terms of bands or in terms of like communal creative products um, and projects. But like what Brady's talking about, I mean, that's like if football is so dependent on that attitude to be played at its very best. Everybody has to work together. That's why he's not the only one who calls it the ultimate team sport. All of our experts that we talk to feel that way because the guy next to you has to do what he's going to do or else your job is not going to work. If you are running the deep route that takes time to develop, but the offensive line sucks and the quarterback gets sacked in a second and a half, then it doesn't matter if you – on a double move, beat the safety. If the doesn't de- matter. If the defensive lineman in front of you isn't just allowing, is like swallowing up offensive linemen and being a double team, then you as the linebacker are not going to be free to run to the ball carrier. Right, because there's going to be a 300-pound guy blocking you. It's, it's like all that stuff. It has to happen that way. And when the quarterback believes that, football can be a beautiful, beautiful game. So where have we seen this? We've seen this in the drafting of Jaquan Brisker. Right, captain, nat, captain at Penn State, all the leadership qualities you could possibly want. 
maybe being a little overdrafted for positional value, right? Fair to say? Box safety with the second ever pick of your general manager in the second round is not something that we would normally associate yeah, with that. Yeah. Char- character played a big role in the scouting of Jaquan Brisker. Absolutely. Like he was going to be one of those guys who was going to show everybody what they're about. And his bond with Eberflus is deep. And, and Paul said it at the time, like the, the, the way this guy plays, you'll all fall in love with him when you get to meet him. Like I distinctly remember, because I didn't like the pick, yeah. I distinctly remember how he was selling it to us. Okay, so, we, so yes. That, that's absolutely. Darnell Wright instead of Jalen Carter. Passing on Jalen Carter, man. Trading, right. trading down a spot because he just thought it wasn't worth it for the premier position in his coach's defense. Maybe, you know, a guy who could have gone one overall, he wanted no part of it. Montez Sweat instead of Chase Young. 100%. Right? Paid more for it, but signed him, and he's clearly the teammate ship put his arms around the younger pass rushers to teach them the moves efforts bust his ass on every single play whether he gets to the quarterback or not whether his assignment is to defend the run or or just set an edge or whatever his job is to do he busts his ass every play that's montez yeah. oh man and he's got a great tv show that's just a bonus <laughs> that is that is a bonus yeah i don't think it was part of the scouting you guys but, the episode last night i, I missed it but I'm sure it was great. Okay, I got the season pass on the DVR. Oh, okay. So I won't miss anything. Montez's nephew came home with a D on his report card. Oh, man. Montez was pissed. <laughs> but probably in, like, an encouraging way, and it was, like, like the disappointed. Yeah. No, like, there's a plan of action to fix the D on the report card. Okay, but good. Montez is pissed, and Granny, as we know, was just smoking, <laughs> chain smoking in the corner. Famously. And She's just chaos. Montez, Granny is Granny. chaos. Well, we talked about this. Open a window Man. at least. And then he turned to the kid as the episode's ending. He's like, you keep getting D's, you know you're going to be sitting there with Granny smoking cigarettes for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm really happy that Marla Gibbs has like another star turn here towards the end of her career. I De- think it's freaking awesome. Demo speaks. So, texters are saying, tell me about Chase Claypool. I A failure. Huge failure that he takes accountability for. And I think directly, directly impacted what he prioritized in the sweat trade and maybe in the Carter draft, the non Carter draft, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cer- cer- certainly possible for sure but, in but, the sweat trade, but just in terms of like, okay, if, if I'm going to do this again, trade a premium asset for a veteran, I got to, I got to scout and get a, get a person. The, I got to do the personal side of it more. I'm not, I know I'm not saying, and, and again, I have said that this is something that I don't love about Ryan Poles because I don't believe that football is a game played by choir boys and you can have uh, some, we'll pull, say, rough around the edges personalities in your locker room and that's what coaching is for. Like, I hated the idea that the only place that Jalen Carter could go to be successful okay. is, the, is the Philadelphia Eagles. I was like, wait, Matt Eberflus is a defensive coach. You're telling me that Dan Campbell's mm-hmm. culture would not have been good enough for, for Jalen Carter? Like, I don't believe that stuff in its totality in football, and I'm hoping that what he was doing was this was the foundation, and then as he goes in drafts three, four, and five, he can maybe... You can withstand that kind of stuff. You can withstand it a little bit easier. Tom Brady knew that he could handle Antonio Brown. Bill Belichick eventually knew that he could handle Corey Dillon, knew that he could handle anybody like that. That's that's the hope. That's the goal eventually, is that you believe your foundation is is that strong. I got to give you the biggest one, to me anyway. That, that the biggest way that, that Ryan Poles, his philosophy reflects what we just listened to. Oh, hold on. Hold on. 
I want to write it down. Yeah, you know what it is. I want to just see. All right, go ahead. It's keeping Matt Eberflus. Flus. That's you're such a flus. Uh, no, I'm just more. This guy over here. I'm just saying. more. All I am is more enthusiastic than you. My enthusiasm. My enthusiasm is bigger because this is what Ryan Poles sees that Matty Berflus has helped him build. And every time after the season, we talked to Manley. We talked to Olin. Anytime we talked to Alex Brown, I made sure to ask them about the teamwork, the chemistry, what they see. And Pat especially was like, that's why they're keeping him. That's why they're keeping because he believes that Matt Eberflus knows how to do this and build this with a team and make it happen. And he believes that is more important than which side of the ball his head coach is smartest about. He just believes that's more important. Yes. And I don't think that – I know you don't like it. I I, I know most people don't. I don't because I I don't believe that we have seen anything to suggest that he is uniquely special in that way like it appears that Dan Campbell is. I don't think we've seen anything from Eberflus that indicates that. And they don't have the quarterback yet. If they had Justin Herbert, if they had Patrick Mahomes, you know Uh what I mean? Well, if if, 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 if they they had had established superstar young quarterback, but – when you're trying to cultivate the environment to best develop them, yeah. and you're about to draft Caleb Williams, I think they've put together an impressive staff, largely on the prospect of we're going to get to coach Caleb Williams. But I think it probably would have been more impressive I'm, if you were hiring for head coach. I'm just telling you, I think that's what Ryan Poles sees and what he values. Because as you pointed out, man, this is the stuff that he values. He believes his coach is really, really good at building that. And I, I will never forget what Montez Sweat said about Matt Eberflus and the Bears. This is th- four weeks after they got him, December 11th. That Mont- was a good episode. Yeah. Oh, man, it was a great episode. But he said about Eberflus, I feel like this is a really tight group. I see a group of guys that has chemistry, has each other's back, and I really admired that. I'm glad to be a part of that. It wasn't the case where I came from in Washington. It was kind of like you're just waiting on the season to end. Here, it's like every week is a new challenge. People want to play for the man beside him. Yes. That, that's He values what Montez is, and Montez values what he sees and feels on this team. And like it's, they've got, They believe they have a good thing going. And now we'll see if they've hired assistants who are good enough to coach the quarterback and make the offense sing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know about that part. And the vibe, like the vibes thing in football, is just it's interesting because we've seen coaches do it in all different ways. Sean Payton has won at the absolute highest level. Not known as being a great guy. No, but Bill no, Parcells. Great, but you're, you know, you're, you're, Tony change, Dungy, you're changing Tomlin. what I'm saying. You're changing the message, in my opinion. It's not about the vibes. It's about getting people to play for the man beside him. And Peyton, clearly good at that, maybe by being a jackass and having people play hard in spite of him on some level or bond together. Yeah. And, right, there's different ways to do it. Right. You know? And I guess, my, so I guess, is Eberflus uniquely good at that or all of these guys are capable of that. Well, they, they, you know, obviously some are bad at it. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know who you would think of as like the guy that you know. Obviously, there were Mark Tressman stories, right? That would that, that what what is this guy? He, he's lying to us, right? The Manley stories. Yes. Said we have right. Uh, I covered Todd Haley. He was famously terrible at it. Sure, I'm not saying that they all can do it, um, but 
I do think they all aspire to it. Coaching is teaching. They all do the leader of men thing. And so in my world, I'd find the offensive guy who could do it. Other than the defensive guy who can do it. And again, I don't think Eberflus is close to have proven enough that he's a true difference maker in that regard. I, I hear you. know you. what I mean? He's got, he's, they're not winning at any level since he's been here. Now, part of it's a teardown and a dead cap year and a rebuild. All, and, all of and that. All that I'm, I'm just telling you, I think that is the predominant thing that Poles that likes. Him. That kept him. It's that yeah. Poles believes he is building culture, building a togetherness, and he doesn't want to disrupt that and thinks he could get a good enough offensive coordinator to go with their quarterback and a good enough offensive staff and put it all together that it would mitigate the fact that he's a defensive guy. So hopefully, two things here. Okay. Hopefully, Hold on, let me write, write something down. Well, I'm just saying, do we like that yeah. as like a like the 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 reveal of seeing how well we know each other? Yeah. I kind of I kind of like that. It's a quick. It was like, what was that game show speaks where um, people did that newlywed game, right? Yeah. It's a newlywed game. Yeah, it's like you put something in a sealed envelope and then you uh, open it up. And you're like, I wrote oh. down in the butt, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Can he say that? Hey, uh, man. <laughs> Legendary. Uh, Bob Eubanks didn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> Shane, you should call out the demo right, right here as well. I feel like I don't have to at this point. <laughs> you feel like I know what I'm doing. The lack of reaction should be me calling it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody, I need Bob Eubanks and Marla Gibbs approval and validation on the text line immediately. But first, tell us how old you are and how many digits your social security number is. And if this is your first text. <laughs> and if you My, had to flip your phone open to send the text, yeah, and if you're starting your text with saying like "Hello," this is uh, yeah, you know, yeah, if yes. you sign the text with your name, yeah, sign this hey, text, Dad. We want our textures to do that. It is helpful. We we like monikers. Do you sign all of your texts with your moniker? <laughs> did, uh, did you sign your Facebook comments? Yeah, that's my favorite. That's a good one. <laughs> when your name's right there on the Do you the still top. use Facebook? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, know. Um, Barely. So he, he will not short shift the deep dive into the stuff bucket and leadership of Caleb Williams. No, man. Like that, right? Like, like that, dude. That, that. If you're paying it forward, you're the, pointing it forward. That, that. Is not a concern. It, it well, no, yes, but it's also on the table that he's going to find something that freaks him out. Oh, agreed. But I'm saying that it will. He might get it wrong, but there will not be in 2027 a Dan Weederer 10,000 word piece in the Tribune about the failed process of the scout of the personality of Caleb Williams. No. They might have gotten it wrong, as evidenced by the Wanstead Curtisinus story. Sure. Which, honestly, we need to clip so that we can play it, like, once a month leading up to the draft. I agree. but Because it was long, obviously, because it was a Dave story, and it was had a million different layers. But We'll the, play it on Tuesdays when I'm jealous of Morning Wani. You know what I mean? But, like, the... Um, yeah, yeah, but, but, but we might have that 10,000-word piece... Might come like, can you believe they didn't talk to Jaden Daniels? I don't agree. I hope it doesn't. I don't agree. I hope they talk to Jaden Daniels. I will be. It's gonna. You know what? That is something to ask a draft expert when we start polls position the Monday after. How many quarterbacks could, in theory, like Caleb is going number one, 
But if you are moving on from fields but drafting a franchise, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How many he, should you consider? Does he have to do the full scout on three? Does he have to do the full scout on five? And the full scout, I mean the full day, the in-person workout for only your team because those things get out. You know, it, it it will be interesting if he sees enough on film that to say I'm not I'm not doing it for Drake Bay. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible that that happens, and he opens himself up to that criticism. But he says the film and our investigation made it obvious that this was the pick. It's possible that he does that, mm-hmm. and people will be very critical of it. And he will, th- and then we'll judge the results. Um, but it's, I think, I think it's in play that that happens yeah, with but, this draft. But I think you're right that he's going to look into all that. Texter's getting in. Pete from BG, I'm 48 years old. I have an iPhone. I got the newlywed show reference. Excuse me, need to go eat so I can take my back pills. Yep, there it is. Yep, that's fine. <laughs> 48, I mean, thanks, Pete. We appreciate out. you. Uh, another guy puts the question. This was the question to Bob Eubanks. Where's the strangest place you ever made whoopee? That was the question. <laughs> and then that, that one guy's answer. <laughs> that's an all-time. <laughs> You're very proud of yourself. <laughs> and you should be. It's Thank a great, you. It's, it's Thanks a, great a lot. Sto- Thank you. It's a great story. Good night, everybody. Uh, I should tell you, this segment is sponsored by American Weathermakers. Congratulations on 75 years of service. American Weathermakers Cooling, Heating, and Plumbing was founded by Bill Hochschild in 1949 and run by his son, Dick, for the past 50 years. American Weathermakers, thanks you for trusting them to keep your home cozy all year round. We have... Uh, we have a first-hand account of some, uh, some scandalous behavior at the AFC Championship game. Next on The Score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Parkinson Spiegel. Oh, yeah. Sounds like the law firm you call when you get a parking ticket. <laughs> Afternoons on The Score. First and 10 from the Baltimore 19. Shotgun Mahomes. Pump and throw to the end zone. Handled by Kelsey for the touchdown. A rocket to the right side. And the Chiefs strike first. 19 yards and it's that combination once again Mahomes to Kelsey to get on the board first Kelsey had an amazing game there was pregame drama with uh, Mahomes and Justin Tucker and everyone trying to kind of oh I mean paint their picture and like paint them in the positive light but it was all captured on camera you know what I mean like they lost, the Ravens lost the AFC Championship game, and Justin Tucker's being asked questions about his kicking tee getting moved. Yeah, the whole thing had to be ridic- feel ridiculous to them after the game. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it did. Um, but like as that stuff was crossing, like before the game, and then even during the game, yeah, it was like that looks like real d bag activity by the Chiefs. What the hell, man? What as, are you doing, dudes? Just trying to set up and kick was the initial reaction on my end. See, and my thought was, why is his kicking tee? On the goal line. He's kicking 10-yard field goals. Yeah, that's a good read. <laughs> I, I, was like, I was like, that that seemed like an odd place to have the equipment. Did you hear him explain it, though? I did. I R- did. Right. So it's just like this: the place he puts the stuff when he's stretching. That's just where the kickers stretch. And I guarantee, what's his name? Butkus or Butker for the Chiefs or whoever Butker they have They're now, on the opposite side. Is on the side. other side on the goal line. Yeah. yeah. Well, they should have he, kicked more 10-yard field goals in that game, maybe, <laughs> instead of throwing picks in the end zone. <laughs> so that's where he puts his stuff. Yeah, that's just where he puts his stuff. He said he has for 12 years. In, uh, the, in the middle of the field? That's what he said. For 12 years, he's put it there. For 12 years. I know. See, I, I saw that, too, but I missed on the front end of his explanation where he said, just a little bit of gamesmanship. <laughs> so he he's kind of admitting that he's doing that to nudge a little bit. I had missed that the first time. But here's the thing. 
Justin Tucker's a big personality. He's a big name. My favorite reaction of all of the internet stuff was they were like, oh, man, they really riling up Justin Tucker. Maybe he's going to kick a 70-yard field goal. It's like, I don't know. What about the fact that you're riling up Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey? Like, they might have a bigger impact on the game. But here's Kelsey talking about the gamesmanship aspect, and if you get into a matchup with him and this sort of thing, you're going to lose. We'll start it off with pregame. Everybody talked about it. Everybody had videos <laughs> on it. It was all over Twitter. I was at the game. And I love how I'm getting painted me. as the bad guy. Oh, you're definitely getting painted as the bad guy. I had multiple people I, text me I... in the game, middle of the game, like, what's Travis doing? Why, why is Travis doing it? And I'm like, dude, you guys have no idea. We're, we're going to get to it right now. <laughs> Justin Tucker is uh, warming up, and there's an exchange between you and him. Uh, there was also an exchange between Pat and Justin Tucker before that as well uh, during warm-ups. It wasn't even that. but So we're warming up, and we do our same warm-up every single time on our side of the field. For those of you that don't know what happens in pregames, the Ravens have their side of the field, and the Chiefs have our side of the field. Now, specialists, because of like the wind factor and yeah, they go to where both you sides are, they get, they get a chance to kick at, at both field goals and – kind of punt from both sides of the field. But it's always if you're if you're trying to go onto the other team's designated area, you kind of stay out of their way. You know, you you don't you don't interfere with what they have going on. That is the unwritten rule. That's the unwritten rule. If you want to be a <laughs> about it, you keep your helmet and your football and your <laughs> kicking tee right where the quarterbacks are warming up and they're yeah. dropping Eyes are looking left, and they got a, a helmet down by their feet. It's actually kind of dangerous, really. But Like, if you're not going to pick that up, I'll happily move that for you. Justin came out, and he said it was more of a joking gesture and kind of a fun competitive, and I get it. I mean, he was kind of winking at me, like, being a about it, like, trying to get under the skin. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. I get it, it but it got under me, your skin and, a little me bit. and Pat, we've been having the same mentality for this game all week long, man. Yeah. And it was, uh, you got to go in there and, and, and have the right mind frame, have yeah. the right mindset. And we just weren't in a joking mood. Um, we yep. were ready to get after it. And uh, so Justin, sorry if we took it to a <laughs> level that you didn't think it'd get to that play. But if you're going to be a, <laughs> I promise you, I can, <laughs> I can one up you every time. dude. Uh, uh, that is some self-awareness. That is amazing. <laughs> I, oh, you want to be a D word about it? You're getting into a contest in which I am a specialist. I, 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 I will win that contest every time. I, I disliked Kelsey, and I disliked Mahomes for a little while there, and then Kelsey just won me back. Because if, if that's what it was, then, yeah, nudge right back. Like, if he's putting the stuff right there in the spot. Shane, are, are, are you back, or do you still Dude, think? I just went the other I'm more with Tanny now. What a little baby. <laughs> Travis Kelsey for such a large, tough man. And, you know, I, I can take everything in the media and what he's being exposed to now on the Internet alone being with Taylor Swift. You can't take Justin Tucker putting his helmet and tee down on the goal line. You little baby. He can take it. He, nope, just he doesn't obviously want, can't, Danny. He, he, he obviously cannot take it. He, he doesn't go on his, his podcast and talk about it. He, he doesn't want his quarterback to roll his ankle. So he threw it out of the way. Oh, it's dangerous. Oh, you're about to smash your head against other dudes heads for three hours. And you think the helmet and the tee on the goal line is dangerous. He's warming baby up back bitch. Oh. I don't know, man. Justin Tucker admitting that it's gamesmanship and he's trying to get in their way and disrupt their their, their flow and disrupt the rhythm means he deserves whatever the hell those guys it's want great, to do dude. back. It's a shared field. You want to complain about it more? 
after Justin Tucker very accurately explained what was happening in post game. Should we let's hear? Should we hear Tucker? Let's hear. Let's hear Tucker. I thought it was all just some gamesmanship, um, you know, all in good fun. But they seem to be taken a little bit more seriously, um, and uh, I'm I'm totally willing to let it all go. But um, yeah, I just wanted to explain that that's just you know what I've done for 12 years, and it's it's not like I'm out there trying to be problematic. I'm just trying to get ready for the football game just like they are. You didn't say, and, that's, and that's that's all I really got to say about it. Those are two of the best players that have ever played the game at their respective positions. They're just trying to get ready for the football game. Obviously, it's an intense environment, so um, it's it's really whatever to me, man. I'm just you know I'm just trying to get ready for the football game. This is gonna shock you guys, but I'm on uh, Kelsey's side here. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna both shock. of them, both Kelsey's. Yeah, what, what, what? Jace, Jason says it's dangerous having that helmet out there. Imagine, <laughs> imagine Olin saying anything on the football field was dangerous to <laughs> anyone other than himself, like being dangerous to the opponent, the, the yeah, nose guard. Yeah, you he's, know what I mean? he's the dangerous one. Yeah, like I, I don't like that from the center. See, I like J- ankle. I like Jason forever. J- Jason has has had my heart. I did too for a long time. And, and you You're don't like fickle. Jason now? You're well, it's by association now, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. dude's taking off his shirt. I saw somebody suggest. Fr- look at me guy. You know? I, yeah, well, I f- saw somebody suggest that, I, like that um, I forget who it was, that he should have like an Anthony Bourdain style show where he goes and explores all the different tailgates in football culture and just kind of. He goes and hangs out and well, obviously sees you have what to start with Kansas City. It's the best. So. I was I was gonna mention it if you didn't. <laughs> Do an impression to yourself, Francesca. <laughs> Doing that Danny. Amazing. That's very bad. It's Danny's impression of Francesca's impression of Tanny's impression of Danny. Yeah, there you go. That You're was incredible. Uh, no, I mean he's gonna get hired by Amazon, right? And Kelsey? Jo- and join that Marshawn join the Marshawn Lynch like do the he'll be at the Wiener Circle he'll do the pregame feature he'll sit in for a quarter of they, the broadcast because Al liked him so much they already brought him in during the bye week last year that's what I'm saying yeah and so it feel if that feels like a pretty natural landing spot for him afterwards if Herb Street would seed some real estate you know why um well he's gonna have to seed it to Greg Olson first I know I'm, gi- I'm giving Herb Street's job to everybody. <laughs> True. I think he is too. Yeah, you might. I don't think he wants to sit next to Al on a Thursday night anymore. I don't know if I would, dude. I don't know if I would. I would sit next to Al. I'll sit next to. Well, I sit I mean, next, to sit Al next to Al Michaels on Thursday night football and talk football and be criticized on the internet for you seven would? figures. Yeah, I would take that. Dude job. probably smells like old milk. Yeah, but he eats a he eats a steak at halftime. It's, it's probably oat milk, though. Yeah, it's probably not good point. for your through your pores, dude. Here's here's why here's why I love Jason Kelsey and forever will. Badass baritone saxophone player, hardcore band nerd, mm. middle school, high school. Mm. Yes, yes, mm. yeah. You bet. Oh, there's their chemistry right there. That's the, that the was... famous Michael's Herb Street chemistry. <laughs> oh, you're gonna make a noise. I, I will also make a noise. But here's Jason Kelsey talking about his his, his band background. I consider a lot of my growth as a player and a person happened learning the saxophone. Being coached by conductors and teachers, reading sheet music, understanding how to practice by repeating the same things over and over again. How you practice is, is, is how you live. There's not going to be anything more cut and dry. The value of practice and putting in extra time, all of that was taught from music. Jason Kelsey, my guy! Yeah! Yeah? Hmm. All right.
because he plays the saxophone. That's right. Played. And he knows the played value. Played the saxophone. He still does. No, no. He played with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Oh, no. They and had he had that Christmas album, right? Yeah, he sang on the yeah, Christmas right, album, yeah, too. Right, yeah, he right. and Travis are both going to be singing on a Zach Brown band track as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Jason can just sing? too much. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> we, we, do, we do have another piece of audio that's w- more worthy than Jason Kelsey's saxophone prowess. And you know, I, I'm sure you think that, but I'm sure the guys out there who got my newlywed game reference are feeling me on the saxophone. Yeah, our guy Carrington's on the mix with, the, with all this stuff. He's right in the thick of it. He's get Pat. Gets Pat every week. You know, yeah. we get him every day. Yeah. Carrington gets him once a week during yeah. football season. But Carrington Harrison, Danny's former partner, asked Pat about the whole situation. We saw Justin Tucker comment on it yesterday. Can you explain to us what happened before the game? Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it, it became a bigger deal than I think it actually was. But at the same time, I mean, I've, I've had like seven years of, of kind of doing that same warm-up routine. And there's only been, a, I think, like three occasions where there's been a kicker that wasn't uh, – because uh, you usually talk to the guys, there had been a kicker that wasn't necessarily moving out the way, or you kind you weren't kind of sharing the field um, in the right way. And I mean, it was in Baltimore all three times. So um, I, he does that little stuff. I think to try to get under our skin. And I asked him to move his stuff, and he and he got up and moved it. I think two inches, um, but but didn't move it out of the way. And I I was gonna kind of let it slide, but Travis kind of got it and moved it for me. And then after that, I wasn't gonna let him put it back down. So it's it's something that we. We move on. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him as a player and as a kicker. Um, one of the best kickers of all time, probably the best kicker of all time. But at the same time, you got to have respect for each team. And we all share the field, and we, we try to do that in a respectful way. How about that? So three times in seven years, and all three times, it's been Justin Tucker. Yeah, Tucker's the petty one here. He's doing the little gamesmanship, and then they're saying no. You know what some people might call Justin Tucker? A baby back bitch. Oh, some people might. They it, might. It definitely wouldn't be me though. I think I handled that really well. Like yeah. I think I, I handled the PR spin on that pretty well. I'm trying to I'm trying to just make it seem like it, it wasn't it wasn't either Travis's <laughs> fault, it wasn't Justin's fault, uh-huh. it wasn't my fault. It, it is just part of the game if we're thinking about it. And the football game, as we know, <laughs> is much more important than the war- the warm ups. Okay, and yeah. I think Carrington did a good job asking me that question. Hey, uh, one more question, Pat. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Yeah, see, I, Carrington asked me that one time, and I didn't. I said, I said, um, I really, I really like just like like milk duds and bunch of crunch. <laughs> and I, I kind of like them together. I kind of like them together. But I, I'll come home for the movie, and if I didn't tell Brittany I was going to a movie, uh-huh. she'd see the milk duds on my teeth. She'd say, Patrick, you go to the movies again. I'd say, yeah, I did, Brittany. I'm sorry about is that, that. Is that Pat's impression of Brittany? It's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Danny, Pat, Danny, you got to work on that Brittany a little bit. Danny, well, I, I don't really have a lot of time. I'm, I'm moving Justin Tucker out of the way true. and calming Travis, that gargantuan bitch down. <laughs> Danny, could you do your impression of Francesca's impression, of Shane's impression, of Pat's impression, of Brittany's impression of you? Uh, Shane saw one of the greatest movies ever uh, in the last couple of days. We finally have his review. And uh, it's an important movie for this show. And before the show, he said that uh, the ending was meh. And we told him to save it for the air. So Shane's review of one of the greatest movies of all time, next on The Score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. You guys are making too much noise. Dad's on the air. Please go, Gabriella, please. Please, buy me up, buy me up, buy me up. Go be on when I shot it. There you go. Okay, there you go. There you go. Did you just shoo your kids away in a foreign language and then lock the door behind them? Is that what That's just happened? Precisely there? what happened. Yes. Yeah. Afternoons on the score. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking, and now it's all over. And that's the hardest part. And today everything is different. There's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. 
Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce, and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. All right, Shane. You finally saw Goodfellas. Yeah, welcome, I did. welcome to the party, sir. In uh, two different parts. I watched the first hour and a half on Sunday night, and I finished it off last night, and I, honest to God, have no idea why you guys are so obsessed with this movie. And this is not a bit. I've seen plenty of mob movies at the suggestion of Chris Tannehill. Mob. He's always throwing bangers my way. But, but the last few Casino. I'm on a pretty good run with yeah. movies with Shane, just in general, not just mob movies. Right, but. right. But like Casino, Heat, you told me to watch Copland, those. Copland, I told you to Copland, watch. Copland, really good. I loved those. Goodfellas is just like any other mob movie, <sighs> but without character development, without anyone likable, and nothing different. Also, I didn't even see the heist. Why don't we get to see the heist that they plan out for four or five million dollars? You don't even get to see that. The most exciting part of the movie is the garlic chopping <laughs> or, or the scene where they're walking through the kitchen. No, no, you're right. The, the, yeah. di- the dinner preparation is the most exciting. That is a great scene. They go into the shower and they have that full freezer with the steaks in there and they yeah. throw the live lobster in the freezer. I get why people like it. Funny how it doesn't sound. It like doesn't you do. sound. Oh, like oh, yeah, it. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. I don't. I don't get it. Forget about the the, the coked out, brilliantly crafted scene with Ray Liotta when he's driving around oh. and he's get, trying to get point A to point B and all oh, that. Right, but but yeah. Tandy, like, the, there's no. We, how about, how about that, one of the greatest part, shots in cinema history when Scorsese goes through the kitchen? That's when you stopped it the other night, right? You're like, oh, yes. I just I just watched that part and I turned it yeah, off. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> where I, turned, so I admire your discipline. That's where I turned it off. But it, 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 if you want to go to the coke scene, there's no resolution to that. Like it, it's it it climaxes when Karen throws away the coke when she thinks you're going to get caught, and then you never yeah. hear about a coke that's, problem again. That's, he just, that's, he's able to just cut it off the that, coke problem. That's life. That's well, no, it's literally not. That life. was the end of his life. That was his only means to make money going forward. That was the end of any prospects they had of living whatever life they were accustomed to. That was the only way they were going to do that is with the money they were going to get from selling those drugs that Karen flushed down the toilet. And you said you didn't like the ending. No, right? I, I didn't like the uh, why is why is uh, why is uh, Ray Liotta all of a sudden in, in a courtroom and then he's all just talking to us because he's in the witness <laughs> protection program. But he's not. He's not actually yet. That's not like a depiction of him being in the witness protection program. No, like it's identifying it, those guys, fine. But then, like all of a sudden, he's just the narrator and he's walking off, and is, looking at the it's camera. Not all of a sudden, that he's the narrator. It, it happened pretty all of Hold a sudden. On. It's the it's the depiction of what he's looking at the rest of his life. He doesn't get to live that enjoyable life, and it's freaking miserable. I thought it was a very unpleasant experience with people who were not in the least hold, bit likable. Hold on. One That's thing about the end, also part of it. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, but is, what I'm saying is the other mob it doesn't movies, approve of mob activity. It doesn't approve. But here, I got one question for you about the ending. Did you catch the brilliant bit of sound editing, which is designed to make you understand what the reality is there at the end? The sound of the door closing. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a jail cell. Yeah. That, he, yeah. His but life. His, no, no, no. Hold on. Slow down. That's it. That's it. His life is going to be basically like being in jail because he doesn't get to live mob life anymore. That's the crime. Worse it, than jail because we saw him in jail and it wasn't that bad. He liked it. Again, okay. yeah, he liked it. Real life is worse. All right, but, but what you're describing is not a difficult thing for someone to do as a filmmaker. Scorsese did it in Killers of the Flower Moon, too. He had the the end the last well, time. Like twenty five years later. It, it doesn't matter. It, well, it's a it's a cheap. But it's a it's a pretty. It's a, it's a cheap theme. 
It, it's Wait. easy to say, all right, the last sound you're going to hear is a jail cell because Ray Liotta's going to... Oh, really? Well, also, I no mean... No way, because all the coke put, and murdering... You got to put any movie in the context of, like, when it was made and then all of the movies that copied it and, it, and influenced it afterwards. Fine. And also, but, like, but it's easy. That it's what I'm saying is that's easy. So you you didn't specifically like breaking the the third wall, even though he was the narrator of the whole movie, and he just kind of brought it together at the I, end. I, I didn't dislike it. it. I thought it was pointless. But so this is based on real people. Henry Hill is the only one who kept kept the actual name sure. of the person. So it's his story. So it couldn't have ended really any other way, unless you wanted to see a different ending for Henry Hill, like you know he opened up a nonprofit organization <laughs> and he stayed in Paul Vario's crew, even though he put everyone in jail. I think uh, I would have like, wanted to see him like become the Mafia Don and perform some really interesting heists. Well, no, but, but he that could. Shane can sit back and he watch. He can't because he's got the Irish blood. Yeah. But but I would have rather, even though his mother's from Sicily, I would have rather seen Robert De Niro catch some flack for killing off everybody that knew about the heist. The heist that we didn't even see. That should have been the most exciting it's part the of the movie. Story but we see of Ray Henry Hill yeah. in the yeah. shower, and he hears it on the radio. It's about his very life story. Specific details. He's very it happy may have about been the, the heist. biggest heist somewhere between four point and six million. Shut the <laughs> hell up, dude! Show it's, me the damn airport but then, heist. But then you don't get that great shot of him in the shower, Jimmy. Yeah, you, know, you can still have it. You can still have because that call in the it could have came like a phone call after. Hey, we did it. We did it. It's done. Yeah, look, we just saw it. I have some texts that we could read. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's interested. So, I mean, I, yeah. Ultimately, though, the heist was just like just stealing a few things. They could have added in there would have taken five minutes, but I don't think uh, it would be Six million lesser. dollars. Yeah, but you're just, you're just stealing a few boxes and bags. Okay, and, but that heist <laughs> is what set up the rest of the movie. Like, they didn't have to put a gun to anyone's head in that heist. They the, had the keys and they had the, the nightman, the commandant, Frenchie. So they, it wasn't they very exciting. In, they took it the, and they left. The process wasn't very exciting. It, it, I, I don't think it would have made the movie better. Also, the babysitter. No need for the babysitter. So no, and her stupid lucky hat. No, no need for the damn babysitter. Yeah, no I would have gone to Rockaway for the hat either. bad hat. On Joe Pesci, that's not an interesting character. No, no. I, when he shot Chrissy, Chrissy Moltisante, when he shot him, that was stupid. The Academy disagrees, by the way, yeah. that it wasn't a good performance. Yeah, <laughs> I know he got the best <laughs> supporting actor. I know that. Yeah, no, the only other I did people, my research. The only other people that disagree is like 98% of society. <laughs> that's fine. I'm, that's glad, it. I'm glad I'm not a sheep like you, <laughs> you sheeple. So, okay. Yeah. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. a lot. It's a lot. I thought he was coming in here just to say he didn't like the ending. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize he didn't like the movie. I didn't like the whole thing, man. A lot of people think this never... is your worst take. Great. <laughs> Good. Stay tuned. There's going to be more. I don't think they've listened enough. Myself. Probably. Not. I disagree. I think this is the worst take. <laughs> I, the movie is not good. I didn't think so. I did, I did okay. not enjoy it. Okay. And a little breaking news for you for you guys here: movies and and film like that subjective. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, no, that's For true. sure. That's but true. I just hope this yeah. isn't a February just making something up. No, <laughs> it's not. It's January. January. <laughs> when have you ever that's known you know me to make up a take just for... Uh, these are all my feelings. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm the most authentic mf on the planet. <laughs> yeah. What you see is what you get, baby. You just cost us the top ten next year. I, we didn't, we didn't, no, I think we you didn't, did for not stopping me. We didn't, we didn't, that's what I'm saying. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Control it. It's just, I can't. I can't. I'm going to get back in because I tried to control it. Okay, good job. Thomas Brown. <laughs> I don't even know how we pivot. It's uh, Parkinson Spiegel on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. The woo people are out. Thanks for playing some mood thing. That made me feel good. Chilling with my man, Rusty Ghost is a beast. Afternoons on the score. Are they going to get the ball up in time? Clark for the win. Yeah! Oh! She does it 
biggest sensation in women's college basketball is in Evanston tonight. Caitlin Clark taking on the Northwestern Wildcats. Darren Ravel was on the station, said it might end up being the most expensive ticket in Northwestern athletics history. Wow. Um, there, was, there, there was a guy on the station this morning who bought season tickets for Northwestern women's basketball just so we could go to this game. I got to be honest, I missed that, but I'm, I believe you. I heard about it. <laughs> I, I believe you that that person exists, and I hope they're happy with their decisions. I just wonder what they're going to do like when Wisconsin comes to town. Donate the tickets would be my guess. I don't know. But I don't, but I don't know. I wish uh, I was going, man. I absolutely wish I was going. She's unbelievable. Sh- and how often does greatness come to town? You know, not was, always. Yeah, no, I mean. True greatness. Hopefully often in pro sports, you know what I mean? You can see these guys in the NBA, but I I would go. I guess what I'm saying is I like women's basketball plenty enough to go and see greatness um, with the opportunity presented. You know what I mean? Like if somebody's truly great, like when Elena Deladon was here for the sky and and I loved her backstory and everything. I was like, I'd, and I started to watch some Sky games. Like, man, she's amazing. This yeah. is great. And this this person, this Caitlin Clark, is maybe the best women's college basketball shooter of all time. One of the best women's basketball players of all time. Yeah, and like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. It's not gotten me to start watching women's college basketball with any degree of regularity. Like, it, for me, it personally hasn't i'll watch uh, highlights no i i haven't yeah. sought out games either. yeah i'm not like, gonna like, pretend i've done that you know what i mean so but but that's okay like when that we we talked about it for a while after their national that game against lsu and it was that 9.9 million people watched mm-hmm. that's like the rose bowl you know what i mean that's alabama georgia that that, that is that's not northwestern wisconsin college football that's like the best that college football has to offer short of a national championship game like that. So whether I watch the regular season or, or not like that, that is a real audience and a sport that is on the come and yeah. people are going to invest in. And she gets a ton of credit for that. But I guess I'm also interested in like, do you have one of like a singular athlete that took you to a sport that you had previously never cared about? And it's stuck because I have one for me, but it's, 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 and, and it's, it's common. Stuck. It, it, no, and, and it's stuck because I got one. I, I watched Formula One for Lewis Hamilton okay. a few years ago. All right. Like I was like, oh, all right. Well, but that's partially because Christine was getting into it and, and watching. But I, I watched that. And then I watched the Formula One Netflix show because I was fascinated with Lewis Hamilton. And I began to like a lot of other factors about it. All right. Do you still watch? Like, will you watch a. Uh... Do you wake up and watch a race? I do not. Okay. So it didn't stick. That, okay. That, and I mean, that's that's fine. I mean, it's just a random qualifier for the conversation. But for me, it was Tiger. And I know it seems now completely obvious because he did it for so many people. But I never played golf, watched golf, knew my dad didn't golf. Brad didn't golf. Like my, my uncle did. And he ended up being the one when I showed an interest in it mm-hmm. that would take me out and, and all those sort of things. I went out there when I was 13 to visit him in Colorado and we golfed together. But like I had no golf influence in my life. No one that I knew didn't. I could not have told you what a birdie was or what state Pebble Beach was in. And Tiger Woods in 1997 at the Masters. I was like, well, this is different. <laughs> And he's the – this is great. And he lapped the field, and all of a sudden he was cool. It's a good and, question. And I started – you know what I mean? And now I 
it's my favorite sport to play, and I watch tournaments that he isn't in, and the and golf's always on a TV somewhere in my house, so I can follow it out of the corner of my eye, and I bet on it every weekend. When Pete Weber was dropping three hundred games and and snapping, you know, and, and flipping people the bird and like making bowling cool. I tuned in to watch Chris Schenkel on an ABC Saturday afternoon. Okay. But it didn't stick. Yeah. Right. I, don't, I don't watch bowling now. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know what I mean? I That's okay. It's okay to tune in for the phenomenon and then maybe follow them or maybe just care a little bit more or uh-huh. maybe watch a little bit more than you ever watched before or just the highlights, consume it on Instagram. Like yeah. a lot of people are consuming Connor Bedard right now. That 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 is okay. Who do you think you are? I am. It's just interesting that, like, I I think there clearly are going to be fans that are going to become women's college basketball fans. I think that's true. And it does stick, not to the scale of Tiger Woods. He's one of the most famous athletes of the last 50 years. But there will be a lot of people that become fans of the sport, and it'll be able to be traced back to an individual. It's pretty rare. Will it get a screen for you tonight? No. I'm just being honest. Yeah. It, it, it it won't because like Northwestern women's basketball is not good. So if I, you know what I mean? Like the fact that it's four miles away doesn't mean I should put it on TV more. I should watch when they play a, yeah. a, a better team. You know what I mean? I, I will watch the highlights. Good answers on the text line. Mike Tyson for this texter. That's a great one. It's a great one. Another yeah. one. Andre Agassi for so, tennis and it's stuck. Now loves tennis. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I, I this is clearly yeah, having... you should have done this earlier. Why didn't you bring this up earlier? I don't know. I've been thinking about it. It's a good topic. Oh, man. We're going to do it again tomorrow night. Listen, you think, you think I'm capped at three and a half hours? you got like 10 hours it takes a day in here. <laughs> go all day. All right. We'll keep going. We'll go all day. It's not a... Pro- I, well, Bulls basketball is coming up, and they're just so compelling. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're so good. I'm going to go watch some Chris Schenkel highlights on a Saturday afternoon. You should do that. Thanks, man. We had fun today. Thank you to Connor O'Donnell and Kevin Lapka. Twitch chat, video stream. Thank you, sirs. Shane Reardon is our executive producer. Thank you, sir. Chris Tannehill makes us sound better than we are each and every day. Peter King and Dave Wanstead on the show tomorrow. For Matt Spiegel, I'm Danny Parkins. Bulls basketball follows us. We are Parkins and Spiegel. This is the score. Yeah, it was supposed to be you know, all fun and games, but obviously it's, it hasn't turned out that way. And if I had fanned anybody, it was not the case. It was just uh, friends having, having fun. And um, as I said, if, if I had fanned anybody in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. And now it's all over. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.